0: Welcome to the
1: Saturday Down South podcast. I am Kyle Giro. Will, I am in Hoover. I am at SEC Media Days. Day one of four is in the books. Hotel
2: Wi-Fi, not great. <laughs> Listen, you're already not experiencing reliable. the small town charm of Hoover, Alabama. Look at that. Oh, it's
1: beautiful. Yes. There were a lot of other takeaways today besides just the Wi-Fi sec media days two years in the making was a bit all over the place south carolina lsu and florida were all in action today and seeing a lot of different people here was a bit surreal in itself it was great like i talked about last week was really looking forward to just getting to see so many of these people in person again getting to see you know hester and peter burns who we have coming up later in the show, and early apologies on that because recording in a mall isn't always great, <laughs> and sometimes you get a little background noise. So, heads up for that. But one of the things that I loved about not just being able to be here was feel like we can actually have a, a relatively normal season. And then Greg Sankey came in and proceeded to remind all of us, and maybe this is something that I should have been a little bit more aware of, but I've kind of been putting it on the back burner, but a little bit of a Debbie Donner with some of the COVID vaccination threshold numbers. And if you didn't see this, 6 of 14 teams in the SEC have hit their COVID vaccination threshold. And Greg Sankey comes out like guns blazing from the jump. And I was not really fully prepared to that. And I walked in like 10 minutes late, which was not great. Because um, I, I was doing radio and stuff downstairs. Like I said, SEC media day is a blur but Greg Sankey informed all of us that there's six of 14 teams that have reached their COVID thresholds and that number needs to get better, which echoes what Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said last week. But it was a little bit of a smack in the face. And I don't want to say that Greg Sankey was a buzzkill because he's been really good about a lot of this COVID stuff dating back to last year. as kind of the voice of reason for all this. But it was a, a reminder that Maybe not as out of the woods as we thought. Will, you've been to SEC Media Days before. It seemed this year like there's just so many different things that we actually have to talk about instead of just filler. You've been there before, and it usually just feels like filler.
2: Yeah, no, I wait, hold on. So you're saying you walked in 10 minutes into the Greg Sankey talking to?
1: Which I knew I, <laughs> I would be able to do.
2: No, not saying but, it's on you, but were you just like, oh... Oh, I'll let y'all get
3: to that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're good. We were good. That's one of the things I make sure I sit far enough and back to where I'm not going to be in any sort of camera shot if I walk in late or something like that. And you're going to miss the occasional press conference, like press conference intro or something like that. All this stuff is transcribed. All of it's recorded. I'm not missing whole press conferences or anything like that. I do like having a presence at these things, though. And that's one of the things that. I I try to do as well at you know when coaches and players are are talking and whatnot and you know we'll we'll just kind of break this down going in order of kind of the way that the day was laid out and if you were watching at home watching on tv you basically saw the same exact thing that we were because one of the different things about SEC media days this year is that they don't have these little side tables for the players which used to be where you get all your good stuff and players you could actually have a conversation with and instead Players this year are taking the stage to distance. I put that in air quotes because there's been a little bit of some back and forth with some things that they're doing and some things that they're not doing in the SEC. That's a different discussion for a different time. And so players are just up there and on the main stage and you see them and the bright lights are on them. So the players really aren't digging into a whole lot. Like today I ask a question to South Carolina, um, Kingsley Angbare, who I, I butchered hit the last name his last name just now, I know I did, and I know Shane Beamer is still getting the hang of it. But I asked him, What's the name, image and likeness deal that you're most jealous of? And he said, Oh, you know, none none really. And I was like, Nothing. You don't want to give me any sort of detail about any a fast food place that maybe a buddy got. Everybody and their, and their mother should be jealous of a Raising Cane's dealership. Everybody should be jealous of somebody getting a national deal with PetSmart. There are just little moments that you just don't get from having these players up there. So I'm not complaining. Again, not being complaining at SEC Media Day's guy. That person isn't here, by the way. Um, <laughs> But it was a great start to media days, even if it wasn't a particularly eventful one. Now, Florida, and I'm not trying to just talk about COVID here. I'm not, I promise you I'm not. But Dan Mullen kicked off the day, and the very first question that Dan Mullen gets asked is, "What's uh, what's your team's COVID vaccination numbers? Basically, like, what percentage are you at right now? Mullen's like, I don't want to answer that. And then he ended up answering that by saying, we're actually, you know, we're close. We're not quite there. And that wasn't the entire day, but it was at least some of it. And it was kind of a reminder. But in terms of actual football stuff, I had a couple of people reach out after I asked Dan Mullen, basically. <laughs> All right, I should add a little bit more context to this.
2: Yeah, you're not giving yourself enough credit for the old, the old Connor boom here.
1: I want to do a, a story on the Florida defense. And I also wanted to see how Dan Mullen would react to a question that could put him on his heels a little bit, because I am interested in what version of Dan Mullen we're going to get on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis. And if we're going to see the 2020 version of Dan Mullen again in 2021, it's going to be eventful, folks. It is. And I think there were moments today in which it felt like 2020 Dan Mullen all over again. And maybe this question that I asked him uh, might have been one of those. But I essentially said... What's the biggest reason that your defense never figured it out last year? And telling an SEC coach that one of his particular sides of the ball didn't figure something out, you know, some people take that differently than others. Mullen took it as, ah, you know, well, if you look at individual games and you see those different moments, I wouldn't say that we never figured it out. I'd say we're more erratic. And I'm thinking to myself, this is Florida, an institution in which there have been top 30 defenses in 11 of the last 12 years. You have a program that is used to a certain standard that dates all the way back to when Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator. And I thought his reaction was a bit excusey. And he even chalked it up a little bit. He didn't say the entire reason, but when you play offense a certain way, you know, there are certain things that, that teams are going to be able to do against you and it changes the way that you defend. I get that to a certain extent. Doesn't necessarily explain why you allow 43 points per game in your final three games. Doesn't necessarily explain why you finish back half of the country in scoring. Doesn't necessarily explain why you allow over 35 points in half your games. I'm not saying that Dan Mullen was making excuses, but he's kind of sounded a little bit like a guy who was making excuses. Well, do you want your coach to come out and call out the defense and say it wasn't good enough? Because Mullen has been willing to do that before. And that's the whole reason that, that I even asked something like that in the first place.
2: Yeah, I mean, what you worry about there as a Florida fan or as an SEC fan is that, the, that Mullen is blinded by the relationship with Grantham, that he's looking through everything with rose-colored glasses. So something like that I would really look for in terms of holding guys accountable. Because accountability comes from the top. You know, we always talk about that with Sabin, how he does such a great job. Um, and so I would love to see Mullen come out and say, all right, like, you know, Todd, I love you, man. You're a good friend. But if we get, you know, a year or two like that, I mean, we're not going to be at a national championship level. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a balance. And you can't get out there and do the old Phil Jackson and just say, oh, our defense yeah. is terrible, you know? Of course. Of course.
1: Public Mullen is different than private Mullen. And I think even different than... Sideline Mullen, which as we know has not been afraid to get after Grantham a little bit So I'm not saying that Mullen is totally covering up Grantham But you're right in that you you want your head coach to be critical of his top assistant And not necessarily call him out publicly But I think any Florida fan would have been perfectly fine with Dan Mullen Saying that wasn't good enough And this is how we're going to be better in this, this, and this way Some of the good moments though from Mullen Before he even got up to the podium He had this quote come out where he was asked about the miami deal that they have with the mixed martial arts academy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how it's paying 500 dollars a month for for all of the scholarship players in miami and mullen had this little one-liner where he said is that legal <laughs> <laughs> and i don't think he's alone but as a coach in the state of florida in the name image and likeness era you should probably know if that's legal <laughs> i i would tend to think and mullen also had this from and this is from edgar thompson of the orlando sentinel um, <laughs> Mullen was apparently, and this was also, I think, before he even got to, up to the podium. He did, he definitely didn't say this in live TV cameras that I saw. Mullen uh, was asked about Georgia being the team to beat in the SEC East. And he said, didn't they say that last year? They actually didn't. Florida was picked to win the East. So that's interesting. Mullen has just totally blacked that out. And this really? is how on edge Mullen is and how much he thinks people are out to get him is that he has totally blacked out the fact that Florida was actually picked to win the division last year and Georgia was not so there was that and then the point that you will and maybe a lot of college football fans thought huh that's interesting coming from him Mullen isn't all about the crossover the annual crossover and I see his point because obviously not everybody has the same sort of draw Tennessee complains about it, um, at least sometimes. And I understand if I had to have an annual crossover draw with Alabama, I'd be pretty frustrated too. Dan Mullen and even came out and said, I'd love for us to do away with the permanent crossover and you could get the type of games that he's going to have this year more often. That is Florida and Alabama. That was the question of what's the exciting thing about seeing that? Not, not necessarily, Dan Mullen, do you think we should get rid of the crossover, the annual crossover games? And there's a point to be made because Florida is hosting Bama for the first time in a decade this year. And scheduling is so weird in the SEC now in that you shouldn't go that long. You just shouldn't. And there's something about that that doesn't quite feel right, and that's one of the byproducts of having an eight-game conference schedule. But, Will, when you heard Dan Mullen say that, you thought, "Boys running scared.
2: I wouldn't say running scared necessarily because I do see his point. And I and – I, I do see that, you know, Some you talked about Alabama and Tennessee. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, the record speaks for itself. And and LSU is a team that we always joke about, Mullen has struggled with. And we also talked about in our last episode how year in and year out, there's really only two teams in the East that can make a run for a national title. So at the end of the day, you know, having two games, right, Georgia and LSU on your schedule that are really like, year-in-year-out and hard games, I just don't feel bad for Florida necessarily. Now, like we've talked about, I do kind of feel bad for Auburn because they got to play the whole side of the West and Georgia, but I think that that's some of the best. I mean, to me, LSU-Florida is one of my favorite rivalries. Uh, Auburn-Georgia is one of my favorite rivalries, and, I mean, Alabama-Tennessee, you know, it's its something to somebody. Uh, it's not really a, a really back-and-forth rivalry, but Bama fans will tell you that's a huge game for them, you know, with the I-hate-Tennessee thing and everything. So I don't really think it's worth getting rid of these storied rivalries so that, you know, Florida could play Mississippi State more.
1: I get way too amped up for Mississippi State-Kentucky every year. Yeah, we right? To, we don't need to get rid of that, Dan. I don't know why you're trying to abolish something that's been in place for years. Just go with it, guy. But I did think that... Mullen is at this point now, and he had shades of this at Mississippi State. This isn't just a Florida thing, but he has kind of this way about him in that I don't want to say he doesn't care or he acts like a guy that doesn't care necessarily about who he offends. But Mullen is at this place in life where he's really not caring about ruffling any sort of feathers. He's not always going to say the politically correct thing. From a content perspective, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Because you see so many of these coaches who get up there. And I love Shane Beamer, and we're going to get to him in a minute. But Beamer isn't going to ruffle any feathers as a first-year SEC coach. The 8 of 14 SEC coaches who are here for the first time aren't about to probably call out other people. Maybe with the exception of Kiffin, but he'll do it in some lighthearted typically Kiffin sort of way. So to see somebody actually come out and say what's really on their mind and not just worry about what's politically correct and all that stuff, I thought it was kind of refreshing and kind of interesting to hear, even though I obviously don't agree with everything Dan Mullen has to say. I think it at least makes us think about this, and I I think that it'd be really hard because I know there's probably even political things associated with all that, but I do think that Mullen brings up a point that at least makes us think what would it look like if it were different and if we could get alabama florida on a more regular basis besides just in the sec championship in which alabama has a significant advantage then maybe it'd be a little bit more interesting but demo Owen gave us the most
2: to maybe think about throughout the day as opposed to at ogeron
3: real quick who, sorry do
2: you think after covering him for this many years there are two kinds of guys that that say controversial things there are guys who say things as a means to an end And, you know, I hate to bring up Saban again, but he's a guy who, when he has an issue, he'll bring it up just at the right time to where guys start talking about it to where it becomes an issue. And then there are guys that shoot from the hip and they say what's on their mind. Do you think that there's a little bit of, um, you know, do you think there's a strategy to the things that Mullen says?
1: It depends when he says them. Mm -hmm. If he says them after a loss, (laughs) definitely shooting from the hip. Right. That we know at this point. If he says them in this setting... I think he does try and do a little bit of this saving thing, and he even referenced Sankey when he said that comment about the crossovers. And he said, "I don't want to, don't want to necessarily, you know, kind of hang him out to dry." But, you know, I, and the the exact comment was, "I think for the players, the fan bases, it'd be exciting to see the mixing up of the teams." But and he said, "I don't want to get Sankey in trouble." Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that there is a bit of this calculated, um, predetermined way that Mullen will go about topics like that. And he's been around the game long enough to be able to say things like that, regardless of how you feel about him as a coach, whether or not he has that elite ceiling or whatever. I like it when coaches voice their opinion. And if something's wrong or maybe not sitting quite right with them, feel free to share it. And it probably just hurt him a little bit that he's the guy who has to play LSU. And if he was the one who maybe had the easy crossover every single year or something like that, it'd be a different story. Mm -hmm. LSU, speaking of them, I didn't think that we were going to get a whole lot of uh, unscripted Ed Odron. And we didn't. We really didn't. He was asked once about the Title IX lawsuit that is ongoing. And Pete Thamel, I thought, actually asked it in a really educated way and didn't necessarily ask him to speak on the lawsuit, which would have obviously been shot down in two seconds because Ed Odron is, is part of this lawsuit that is going as, as a result of the way that he handled or is accused of handling the Darius Geis uh, rape allegation. But the thing that I thought was interesting was that Pete Thamel asked this question about seeing LSU linked to all these different things. And has this kind of made you um, change maybe your overall perspective on the issue as a whole? And he didn't even want to go down that road. And ODron did not want to entertain any sort of thoughts. And I get it to a certain extent, because if you're saying, look, I've learned this, this, and this, it implies wrongdoing in a way and it implies that you might not necessarily have known the things that you know now and I'm not necessarily going to sit here and blame him for that. The part where you maybe didn't have to go this far, after this comment or after this question that that Ed Ordron is asked, he responds with, that's something I'm not going to comment on, it's an ongoing investigation and I'm not going to comment on any of that, thanks for asking though probably don't need that in there. Comes off a little bit like, how dare you ask me that question in this setting? We probably should be asking these types of questions to any coach who's involved. It doesn't matter what level they're on to be able to hold them accountable because it is national news, but maybe not the best look for Ed Otron. I don't think anybody came away from today thinking that Ed Ogeron won the day. Will, did you?
2: No. Uh, yeah, I think that you know we've talked about it before on here, but they just got to kind of get it figured out. And the the situation with his job security, you know, it all comes down to boosters. As much as I hate to say it, recruiting. I think if they weren't recruiting so well, it would be a totally different story for him. Uh, but, yeah. Number I mean,
3: three class in
1: the country. And he referenced that, too, about how unique that is to have a season as bad as LSU did and to still be able to do things like that. He talked about some of the name image likeness stuff as well and how they're embracing it. And that is just very unique in and of itself.
2: Yeah. So this situation is fascinating because, you know, it's – Everyone has been right about Kocho, and that's the crazy thing. The homers have been right, the doubters have been right, and now we gotta find the truth, which probably lies somewhere in the middle, mm. but it's how much of that middle do people want to tolerate. And and we've talked about it. he's not a great ambassador. Well he's a good ambassador, he's not a great spokesperson for LSU. He's not the person you want fielding these type of questions because, as we saw with the um, Eric Gilbert situation, he just kind of says stuff sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so like every time he gets asked a question like that, I get nervous because I think, like you said, it's it so much has to do with tone, so much has to do with reading the room, and that's something that he's just proven he's not great at. On a very different
1: note, very different note, we had Derek Stingley call him Eric Gilbert. And I know there's been this discrepancy, this back and forth. And now my brain is in a pretzel more so than ever. And I just want to be able to pronounce his name correctly. I do. I really do. Because I think Gilbert is a guy who is going to be someone that we talk about a whole lot. And I don't want to be going back and forth with Arik and Eric. I just want to be able to figure out what exactly it is. But Derek Stingley had <laughs> the the comment that he made to start off his, his availability and also... Derek Stingley's a lot taller than I realized. I walked right past him, and he's like, he feels a legit 6'2", and I'm 5'8 and a half, so take it for what it is coming from me. Certain guys feel like they get kind of propped up a little bit by height. Derek Stingley was definitely taller and lankier than I thought. I walked past him, and I, I like, without looking at his face, I thought, that's a wide receiver. And it makes sense because of the way that he plays the game. But I thought that hearing him open up, his, um, his press conference by saying, um, I'm looking forward to showing what real chemistry looks like. Now it's no secret. <laughs> that LSU did not have chemistry last year. And when you have the year that they did, where you're uh, basically two plays away from going three and seven, and your defensive coordinator is Bo Pelini, and you look like one of the most inept, disappointing units. Um, in recent memory, I would say, there's no chemistry there. And there was no cohesion, and I've talked about that before, about LSU looking like it was trying to learn Mandarin whenever a team would go in motion. And I brought that up today to a certain extent. It said guys just didn't know what they were doing with some of these coverages. And it was the shifting, just threw everything off. Everything was overcomplicated. They're trying to simplify things. Everybody always says they're trying to simplify things. I truly believe that LSU is trying to simplify things because they couldn't have been more complicated than last year to dumb down or to turn all world players into very average and below average players at too many times. But I asked Stingley, as a follow-up to that, what do you mean by that? And what do you mean by looking forward to showing what real chemistry looks like? He didn't really break down a lot. He basically just said at times, you know, we just didn't have that cohesion through the back end of, of the defense. And I think what I come away from thinking is, People like Durante Jones a lot better than Bo Pelini. And I just keep thinking about the Bo Pelini dynamic a lot. How Everything we've ever been told in the last year about Bo Pelini is that he came into this situation with the defending national champs coming from Youngstown State and acted like he knew way more than he really did. Acted like a guy who was going to tell these players who just delivered one of the best seasons we've ever seen in college football history. This is what you're doing wrong. It didn't necessarily present it in the best sort of way. And imagine hearing that and thinking, man, you've been at Youngstown State for the last five years, and we just took down Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Why am I about to listen to you? And I think we see that repeated throughout in media days and into fall camp. We're going to see a lot more than that. But... For Stingley to come out and say that when I think everybody everybody
2: knows what he's talking about, but pretty telling comment I thought. Oh, and, and, and we talked about it a little bit, but that whole twenty nineteen season, Kojo was just dumping on Dave Aranda and talking about how he thought he could do better. And of course Very true. after that season he brings in his homeboy without interviewing anybody else and suddenly, you know, <laughs> it didn't work out. He
1: didn't interview him in person. That that was one of the things that he was asked about today was about that interview process. And he's talked about that before he's talked about how he's taking more control of that process. And that was what he wanted to do this time. And he, he let too many guys just cut, kind of, you know, he had buddies that he, he had known about and didn't do formal interviews with. And he said with Polini, it wouldn't have changed if it had been in person or obviously not. Or At least I believe him. <laughs> I, I do. I really do. But that, that's a, a strange thing for a head coach to um, be so open about. And it's, it's right. And I don't think he's, he's lying. I think he's trying to be as transparent as possible. But one of the things that he said today was, if something is wrong, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to do it the way that I know how to do it. Crazy concept for the money that he's being paid, especially after winning a national championship to become what the second or third highest paid coach in the country. Things you would like to hear out
2: of your head coach, I would think, right? Well, yeah. And the thing is, it goes back to the to the to the spokesperson thing. It's like, no one to lie, man. All you gotta say is, oh, we brought in ten coaches. We just didn't tell you all about that. And who would have fact checked them? Nobody. Anyway, we can stop talking about those.
1: <laughs> Nobody. Yes. Did not hear a whole lot um, about necessarily. Didn't hear a lot about the quarterback battle or anything like that. I kind of wish that LSU, and you, you'll hear me when I talk about this with, with Hester, I kind of wish that LSU had done the Florida State thing. And I know that's a sentence that I, you will not hear me say very often, but I thought Mike Norvell was, was actually really smart to bring two quarterbacks to SEC Media Days, to bring Jordan Travis, to bring McKenzie Milton, two guys who were former transfers as well, to just say, this is our quarterback battle. I kind of want to use this as a piece of data. And I think that LSU actually would have been a really cool place to experiment with something like that to see how does Miles Brandon handle this? How does Max Johnson handle this? No, this isn't going to make or break necessarily who gets the job, but make them feel important. If we're talking about quarterbacks and trying to make them feel like they're actually a part of the team, consider that part of the battle because you're going to have all eyes on you during the season, and you got to be able to, to handle all of that goes with it and being the spokesperson for your team. How do you talk about yourself? How do you talk about your teammates? How do you talk about your coaches? All those different things. I thought, Ellis, you could have cashed in on that. Instead, we got Derek Stingley, who yeah, said about what you would expect him to say for a future top five pick.
2: Well, you know why they didn't do that, though, is because Max Johnson would have won the day. I mean, he's that type of dude. He behaves, talks, carries himself like, you know, a pro quarterback. And I love Miles Brennan, and he's played very well on the field, and I'm, I'm in favor of him starting, but he doesn't do that as well. He's kind of soft-spoken, he's kind of goofy, and I think that if you bring in a freshman who already acts like he has the job, it's going to take away from what's going on in practice.
0: Interesting.
1: It could. There's definitely a downside to it, and LSU did not want to experiment with any of that. South Carolina did not bring a quarterback. Only three quarterbacks at SEC Media Days this week. That's crazy. South Carolina did not bring a quarterback, but they did bring their new coach, Shane Beamer. I said going into this that I thought if there was one person that people were kind of going to be like, wow, oh, this guy's a little bit different than I thought he was. Shane Beamer was that guy. You heard him on this podcast. Shane Beamer can talk. He had a 13-minute opening statement, and then he proceeded to do some some interesting things, like give Oscar Delp, the four-star tight end recruit, a little bit of a message of we want to utilize the tight end. We will utilize the tight end at South Carolina. We will throw to the tight end. And he had Nick Muse in attendance as well. And I thought Beamer handled himself really well. And if you didn't know anything about Shane Beamer, you watched his passion, you watched the way that he talked about his rebuilding team, and you thought, that's a guy I can root for. There are certain people like that, and this doesn't necessarily win football games. It does, I think, matter in that locker room, and it matters when you had a place like South Carolina, which I thought at the end of last year felt like one of the last places on earth I would want to be with the way that guys were opting out, and you know it's the end of the Champ era and all those different things. Beamer is just a different energy. And he did something remarkable after SEC Media Days today. He recreated the Steve Spurrier RB shot. And a man who gets it like that, he's not trying to be Spurrier 2.0, but he wants to hearken back to those days. And I credit Shane Beamer because there are a lot of things that he could have probably done wrong at this point. This, the, the, the jury is out on whether or not he's going to be able to coach up a football team and you know, all the questions that we ask about guys who haven't been even a coordinator at this level. Those, those will be answered in due time. For now, though, I find myself tipping my hat to Shane Beamer at every turn. Will, I think that Shane Beamer is the type of guy that if we, like back you know, back when we were both in Orlando or something like that, if we, if we went out for a beer afterwards and, you know, after a Saturday of, of football or something like that and a guy like started chatting us up, there are certain people that when they chat me up, I want nothing to do with them. Shane Beamer is not that guy. Right. Shane Beamer is the guy that I actually want to hear more from. And by the time his 26 minutes were done or whatever it was, I came away thinking, this guy kind of gets it. South Carolina fans are super fired up. The recruiting helps. The new facilities help. South Carolina is a place that could really be in a lot worse shape than it is right now. And of all the year one coaches, Shane Beamer is in the best position to build that momentum in year one. A lot of people are declaring him the winner of media days. That's just their one day. That's just one day. Just so far. There are a lot of other things that are going to come and go with media days. But I thought he made a great first impression and kind of set the bar pretty high for a lot of these, these first-time coaches. Will, who's the coach that you're kind of like... I don't want to say you're looking forward to hearing from because that, that's the question that we get asked about all the time and the answer is Mike Leach. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, that's easy, buddy. Yeah, we, we know that. But who's maybe the, the coach that you're most interested in kind of hearing the way that they they talk about certain issues or something like that? Some A coach that you think has a... A lot to maybe bring to the table this week.
2: Um, I think it's going to be Jimbo. I mean, I think that based on, you know, the offseason, and we've seen that he's got the crosshairs on him now and everything that he says, you know, gets amplified. So he's going to have to find a way to come in there and be confident without trying to ruffle too many feathers. He's going to have to, you know, because he's already proven he belongs in the SEC. But like we've talked about, this is the biggest offseason, I think, of his football career, which is crazy considering he's already had that crazy perfect season. Um, but it's... It's what to really expect from the Tier 1 Jimbo regime, and this could be, you know, year one of it.
1: I agree with you. And Jimbo doesn't say a whole lot in press conferences, but I do think that he'll be, he'll be a good person to hear from coming off the season that he had, where you got to remember, too, the dynamic with Jimbo of being told for three consecutive years, you're messing this up. You're wasting a golden opportunity. He was told that at Florida State. He was told that his first two years at a and And then to have this year where he finally feels like, see, I built it. And I didn't do it because of some legendary coach that I I rode the coattails on. I did it myself. And will we see a more confident Jimbo Fisher this year? I don't know. I think he's a pretty confident guy anyways. But we're going to get to more of kind of setting the stage for the rest of the week and all the things that we have to look forward to. Let us first kick it to interviews with we'll start with peter burns and then we'll do jacob pastor right after and again apologies audio not exactly great <laughs> i'm a one-man band you're gonna hear them a lot better than you're gonna hear me but you're gonna hear a lot of good stuff from them so here is peter burns and jacob pastor you come here this year in a year in which you know you're gonna have to talk nil by the way peter burns here joining us Saturday Night <laughs> on sound podcast uh, BB, I see you every year here, and we always talk about pretty much nothing. But this year feels like we actually have a lot of like real stuff to talk about with NIL. Yep. Are you sick of talking about NIL yet?
3: No, actually, I, 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 yes and no. Because again, I feel like this year we have two years of like these pent up questions that we want to ask the coaches, and um, you know, why the NIL stuff? It's it's a game changer for the for the guys. So I'm I'm actually kind of curious to see almost the body language of the coaches when they talk about it, like are they truly 100% behind it or they say they're 100% behind it because they have to be on, on, to. on, on the part of their coach or their players. So I think that's probably the biggest question. And, you know, me and Doran were talking about it on the morning show to kick things off is that as much as we talk about name, image, likeness, I think the transfer portal and immediate eligibility is 10 times a bigger story than NIL. Like, NIL's new to us, but that just changes what money goes into players' pockets. I think the actual immediate eligibility in the SEC is so much of a bigger storyline that I'm frankly surprised that we don't get more people talking about it. I
1: think there's just a lot going on right now. There's yeah. that, there's. College fact, football
3: playoff, possible expansion.
1: Playoff, we're talking about, like, stuff that actually matters in college football, whereas this time of year I feel like we're usually just trying to fill time. No. Y- your morning show and what you guys are doing, SEC this morning, watch it with some guy named Chris Doring. he's whatever. Um, <laughs> you're the real star of the show. But what we have to actually talk about here is kind of crazy. Uh, do you find yourself like, oh, I don't need to search for those filler topics right now? Or, like, from, from a production standpoint, do you feel like you're just kind of – Gonna gonna play it by year, kind of go with.
3: Well, this good. is this is by far been the "quote unquote" easiest yeah. summer to ever do sports talk radio because Easy. so yeah. much of the par- uh, the the landscape has shifted in college athletics. Like it almost feels like we're in college sports 2.0. Right. Like once July 1st hit, everything else changed, um, and the storylines are being built in front of us. Like you know, everything is in a honeymoon phase right now. Like name, image, and likeness, we're seeing the great deals, but we're not seeing any of the you know stuff that you would get into in like six months of marriage right like all right these are issues we don't know those issues yet so um we're just all trying to figure it out on the fly as are the coaches the transfer portal's crazy college football playoff like again normally i come in kind of dreading media days because i'm like you know all i'm going to hear is cliches but there's going to be meat on the bone more than ever before
1: What's the deal that you are most jealous of? Because I, I feel like I've asked around. I oh, Raising nice. Cane's. Like, like, if you name names and
3: likenesses, there's no doubt about it. I'm team Raising Cane's, double sauce, no okay. slaw. I'm, like, get the extra bread. Yeah, when I saw Miles Brennan and, and Spencer Radler get deals. It's Isaiah Spiller as well. Spiller as well, too. Like, I'm not near enough that talent, but I'm like, if there's ever one, like, I'll do it just for cane sauce. I got to be honest with you. That's the best deal. That's the perk that we can, uh, I think we can all get behind. Um, how many times has McElroy reminded you about hole in one stuff? Uh, a couple times. And I just saw that Nick Saban had a hole in one, Nate Oates had a hole in one. Like, I'm sick and tired of Alabama guys having to come to the state. I know. Maybe that's the case. I should play a little bit more golf you here bring your clubs? at that point. I did not bring my clubs this year. Um, that's the brutal part about the morning show is, like, it's really cut into me and Chris Doring's cocktail hours right, here at Media right. Days, the important stuff. And so, like, whenever you're waking up at 4.30 a.m., luckily we got guys like Roman Harper that actually have true talent. <laughs> Roman you know, Harper joining it. physical specimen, by the way. So, yeah, <laughs> he so should good? work. You should finally work gracious. out one of these days, my it's friend. just finished. we got to get out a uh, decal from, you know? Um, right there. Good.
1: Okay, so this is my first time seeing Roman Harper in person. He's taking down CD in any workout right now. I don't care what CD says.
3: It is true. It It, is true. It's not close. I know CD likes to play pickup basketball against his son and try and make himself look really good. That's the only problem is that when working with these guys between these guys and then you get Tebow, and everybody's in really good shape. Like, we just... Like it's honestly, I think it's kind of demeaning to guys like me who have dad <laughs> bods at this point. That you know, all we're doing is hiring these really good shapes. Like I'm, it's not, it's not fair. I'm not happy about it. What's the best part
1: about this week for you? Is it getting to get to the end and realizing, hey, college football is just around the corner. Besides
3: talking to you. Besides talking Besides to you. you, yes, talking that's, to you. Assume, that's assumed. That's yes. assumed. Always. Um, honestly, it's the behind the scenes stuff. Like we do. Like I, I, I always tell this story. The, the best things I learned about media days are not stuff that we talk about on air or, or the, hear from the coach's podium. I, I remember, I think it's 2018, Mark Stoops came off highly upset after being on camera with us. And I saw him in the lobby, you know, in our kind of a little back, back area. And I was like, what's going on? And he was so upset that he felt like Kentucky wasn't giving the, the publicity that they should. That they weren't getting the respect. And he was really pissed off. And it was that moment that I realized he really believed he had a really good team. And he was right. And, and he was right. They end up winning 10 games that year. So I think it's a lot of the, you know, kind of off-the-cuff little conversations you have with the coaches and the players um, that end up having some success. So, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to. And seeing, what, eight new coaches make their debut, this will be uh, a fun week. That's the weird thing that I keep reminding people is that mm-hmm. eight new coaches, eight
1: of 14, it's like, it's a very different sort of vibe, and that just shows you the nature of the SEC. Yep. We're only, you know, it's, look, I'm looking at my watch right now. It's 10.15 on a Monday that I'm talking to you. I know you got to get going in a couple minutes here. But 10.15 on Monday of SEC Media Days, you've probably already learned a couple of things at this point. What have you already learned in the first couple of hours of, of this being
3: like the unofficial start? Yeah, I mean, that Chris Doring does not have a limit to how many medium shirts that he wears. True. That's probably being one. Um also, I, I think there's still a level of people that are a little bit worried about this upcoming season. I don't necessarily know how much they'll talk about it this year, but it's kind of like let's not necessarily mention it. That hey, the, you know, we're looking at the Olympics right now, and players, you know, and, and athletes are testing positive for COVID. How is that going to how is that going to play? When last year we were set up for flexibility, this year not so much. So I think that's kind of in the back of everybody's minds. That they're not really talking about right now, but I've heard him kind of rumblings about like, hey, let's let's make sure we're still good for a full bore for football season, because that would be just brutal if it if if it's not. Because I mean, you could just feel the excitement. If this many people are excited about media days this year, I can't imagine what fans are going to be going back to the stadiums. Hopefully, 100 percent.
1: Hopefully 100% is the key thing. Everybody's had their announcement. It's no. kind of been out there and mm-hmm. stuff, but that's the one thing that I think we come back to is, you know, let's not take any of this for granted and understand that there's still there's still a finish line that hopefully we're, we're at and we're able to cross.
0: You just never know.
3: Two months away, but I wouldn't want to be any other place than right here. What's the maybe the biggest thing you're looking forward to um, just about this season in general? Are you going to do you have your LSU-Bama
1: game already, like the ticket's locked in? I know that's a big deal in the Burnside. It just
3: depends. It, it, it was a whole lot easier when we had no kids and easier when yeah. we had one, but now we got two kids under four. I'm not sure if we'll be able to make it. Um, but honestly, I, I think honestly, seeing the fans and the tailgate and the experience and being live back on campuses just for everything, broadcasters included, just get back to some normal soon, and hopefully we have it.
1: We're gonna have your idea of SEC media days at night soon. I threw um, that out there two years ago. It hasn't happened.
3: yet. I threw it out. Um, we're hoping. I don't know. Maybe what is it? Atlanta, Nashville. One of these years that we can do it. Nashville would be the place. Nashville would be the place. Um, it's a work in progress. We'll put it that way. Put, it, put a little bug in Sankey's ear. You guys are—you guys are having him on this week, guys. So, did you guys already have him on today? We will have him on later on this week. Okay. So we will we will, we always efforting those ideas. But I will say this: like now, I don't care if it's SEC midnight in the morning. Like as long as we get media days and we're back, and as opposed to last year not having it, I'll, I'll take anything. Beautiful, love it, appreciate it, D.B.
1: One and only, Jacob Astor. A lot of haters and a lot of homies. This week, we're talking right before everything's about to kick off, but you have been doing this now for how many years? Let's see. I retired in 14, so this is seven. How does retirement work in the NFL? That's a dumb question, but like for somebody who like, you know, doesn't necessarily have like the full 10 years to get like the full
0: you know, allotment of like you know, Full vested benefits, in four years. Wait, what? Yeah, four years, you get your full retirement. Oh my god! Major League Baseball Baseball's 10 years. Major League Baseball's 10 years, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense Football? if the NFL was 10. Yeah, do. I mean, as you know, it's like, what, 2.7? I think it's the lifespan of an NFL yeah. player. So you get to four years uh, and you get all your benefits. Now, it goes up. Like, your per month goes up depending on the amount of years that you played. Okay. But you're still in like, 401k, annuities. Ew. You get health insurance, like, five years after you retire that they pay for. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. I that's mean, the one thing uh, the NFLPA got right was the benefit package. That's pretty sick, though, because now I think we're going to be looking
1: at just the way that athletes are compensated in a totally different way, and everybody's going to be more critical of it.
0: Name, image, and likeness stuff. Are you sick of it already? <laughs> I'm not sick of it. And I'm for it. You and I have talked about this before. I am for it if it's done the right way. It's not really been surprising. I think a lot of people overshot what they thought it would be. I mean, you've got some players that are getting deals. It's not life-changing money. It's yeah. good money in college because any money is good money in college. Um, I think there's a real opportunity for Olympic sports that nobody talks about talking softball and soccer to have clinics and be able to host those clinics and, and be able to make a little bit of, of, of side change i think there's going to be a part of that for them um, a lot of people thought jersey sales are going to be a big part i know michigan's got their getting deal a little bit yeah. a little bit but yeah, i mean you're getting 10 bucks a jersey I yeah mean, how many jerseys you got to sell to make a sure a good living those jerseys are 180 bucks a pop yeah you get 10 bucks of which that conversion rate is actually a little bit better than the NFL's conversion rate. But people would have bought a lot of chicken festers back yeah yeah, yeah Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, we've seen a lot of like, fast food restaurants and a couple of places reach out to some student-athletes. But you know, for the most part, look, I'm always going to be for the student-athlete. I don't think it's changed the way that we view college football. It's still pretty young, but well, we're a couple of weeks in. How does it feel to be a co-worker of Derek Stingley's uh, walk-ons, uh, <laughs> compadre, fellow walk ons yeah. sports person? No free yeah. ads, but, you know. Yeah, they, they need to change it to scholarships, I guess, for, uh, for Derek Stingley there. Uh, never confuses a walk-on, but, uh, I mean, look, if you're going to get one in Baton Rouge, you go get, go get Derek Stingley Jr. is going to be a top five pick there. and uh, Yeah, I mean, look, just places like that, like walk-ons, like Raising Cane's has done a great job of, of being able to get student-athletes as well, but uh, Derek's very marketable, there's no doubt about that. Would you have had a raisin Cane steal back in the day? It would have saved me a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, It would have saved me a lot of money. We had one right by our campus apartment. It was like the OG raisin Canes, and uh, it would have saved me a lot of money because when I first got to LSU, I was running back size. I was like 205, and I needed to get to like 230 before the season, so there was a lot of chicken fingers that helped me get to my point. So gritty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Slaw, no slaw. Yeah. a oh, slaw, for sure, man. Come
1: okay. on. I mean, I'll agree to disagree on that. I mean, yeah. double sauce at least, but...
0: Oh, slaw. Hey, look, a true fat kid would take the toast, you get the slaw, you put it there, you put some fries, and you put a chicken tender on it, and then you fold it up and you eat it like a sandwich. I think that's the way
1: to do it. If I was going to have slaw, I would want to be distracted by all the other <laughs> stuff and not eat it individually, but... Okay. You know, it is cool to kind of see some of these athletes that are going to be able to talk about it. And, you know, it yeah. feels like we are we have so much to talk about this week. What's well, maybe the thing that you're kind of looking forward to most? And, you know, probably. And keep in mind, people are listening to this. Probably, we're doing this before everybody takes right. the stage on Monday. So keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, no, my, my question and, and kind of like I think the biggest storyline for me is quarterbacks in the SEC because they're not going to be here. Who are they? There's, There's three. They're, they're not going to be here. And when you look at it, because you could like, man, why didn't they bring more quarterbacks? Who would they have brought? Like, what quarterback is not here that should be? Okay, so let me ask you this. I loved what Florida State did. I don't compliment Florida
1: State very often, but I thought what Mike Norvell did was really cool. To bring two quarterbacks to say, you know what? Travis, Milton, we're going to bring both of you guys. I, I don't care that it's a battle going on right now. Brought Jermaine Johnson, by the way, all three transfers. Little slick move by Mike Norvell. I didn't hate it. I don't like necessarily saying... We're not going to bring our quarterbacks because we don't want people to talk about the yeah. quarterback back. I think that quarterbacks are going to be the face of the program, and eventually they're going to have to talk to media. So how, does that matter,
0: or do we just make too big of a deal of that to media? Look, I just think sometimes if you do that, though, you open yourself up for you know the questions that they're going to get. Are they trained well enough to be able to handle those answers? You never want any of your guys to be sound bites. And that would kind of be the worry if I brought two quarterbacks. I mean, there's, look, there's been years here where you've brought a quarterback and three games in he's on the bench. Yeah. And, you know, we have all those, those snippets of, of clips that when he was saying what the offense was going to be, and they're like, you're not even running the offense. So, look, if there's not a, a worthy candidate, and sometimes, like, when I say worthy, like, you're good enough to be here, but you haven't won that job yet. So let's take LSU, for instance. They decided to bring Austin Deculis. Austin Deculis has been at LSU, it feels like, since I've been at LSU. I mean, he has been a four-, five-year starter. century, yeah. I mean, yeah that he has been a part of the program for a long time. And so they reward a guy like that when yeah. you have a quarterback battle going on. So when I talk quarterbacks, it, it's very interesting this year because you've got some places that have guys that have experience, but we, just, we don't know how that's going to play out. Like the LSU situation, small sample size, both guys had success. Okay, how's that going to play out? Uh, was the quarterback at a and for 17 years. So nice. you're going to have a different quarterback yep. this year. You've got some great pieces around him, but it's Jim Jimbo going to be able to coach that guy up. And an offense that I've been a part of is a very difficult offense. That it, is. it is a very difficult offense to learn. It's more pro-style than it is college-style. I mean, Bo Nix. I mean, Bo Nix, is he in a quarterback battle? He's got T.J. Finley. Well, there transferring from LSU, and he and he's one of the quarterbacks that's here. So, man, I can't remember a year, Connor, that, that – quarterback uncertainty. Emory Jones. I mean, Emory Jones has played some big games yeah. in Florida. He played in Death Valley in 2019 against LSU, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But he's in the quarterback battle. He's not going to be here. And we know Dan Mullen loves him because he has tried to put him in three different years. But how much of this is,
1: is coaches not wanting to make that decision because of the way that the transfer portal is set up now where it is oh, easier yeah. than ever to be able to, you can transfer within the conference right. if you wanted to. And I, I thought that that was one of the byproducts of this is that we're going to see coaches play coy. And it's not going to be a surprise to see this go down to the wire and to even see some coaches do a little bit like what Dan Mullen did. And Dan Mullen didn't execute a two-quarterback system, but he did enough to make Emory Jones feel involved. And I think right. that that's kind of the key. LSU, though. We know that this quarterback battle is going to be good.
0: It is going to likely go down to the wire. Do you have a pick? If you ask me here, we're in the middle of July. I would say Max Johnson is a little bit ahead of Miles Brennan. Interesting. And it's not even really anything Miles has done, right? And Miles, in his three-game sample, threw for 375 yards a game. I haven't sold my Miles Brennan stock, and hearing you say that,
1: no. I still will not sell my No, Miles and you
3: shouldn't.
0: I'll buy more. And, and you should not. I mean, because I think Miles is a very talented quarterback. And the only reason I say Max, when Jake Peets got hired, he worked with Norv Turner when Norv was the O.C. with the Panthers. Norv was my head coach. So, naturally, I'm going to do some due yep. diligence. I'm going to call first thing out of Norris' mouth was, man, Jake Peets is a mastermind of RPOs. That was the first thing he said. I didn't even ask him a question about RPOs. That was what he said. So for me, in my mind, he's going to run RPOs, which quarterback is better set up for success? Well, that is Max Johnson, not Miles Brennan. So that's why I say he has a small lead. Uh, Max is a grinder, man. Every time I'm in that building over at LSU, he's in there. I have not been in there in the last 10 trips over there where he was not in either the quarterback room yeah. or in the indoor throwing to somebody. Okay, so, I mean, he's working. Not to say Miles isn't, not to say that. But I hadn't seen Miles, I've seen Max. Um, you know, Miles, I love his story, though. I mean, gosh, in a day and age where we're talking about take your ball and go home, he's yeah. like, nah, I'm going to stick it out, right? I'm going to win this job. So the good part for LSU is for 10 years it was a graveyard for quarterbacks. Whoever wins this job is a talented quarterback who's yeah. had success at the SEC level. That part of it's big. The only reason I say Max right now is because of the RPO stuff and J.P.s. I think in terms of the true battles, LSU has as favorable a situation as you can really ask yeah. for. And
1: I think that there are a lot of places that, you know, Ohio State, where C.J. Stroud is going to be the yeah. guy. And, but I think LSU just has such a favorable situation. But,
0: But to your point, though, about the transfer portal and keeping everyone happy, LSU's got to do that. Yeah. because oh, you yeah. lost one. T.J. Finley plays for Auburn now. Yep. Okay, you've got Garrett Nesmeyer as your three. He's a good quarterback. He's a four-star guy. He's going to he's gonna be eventually the starter someday at LSU. You don't want to go into the season, say Max wins the job and Miles goes elsewhere. You've got a true sophomore and a true freshman, and that's it. Yeah. That's all you have. Everybody else is a, is a walk-on behind them. And so it seems almost a little scummy. But you have to make them happy long enough to make sure that all three quarterbacks are on your roster. So bring them both to media days. It all comes back to that, right? (laughs) Just bring those two guys. Or just make them both believe they're the starter until you get to Pasadena and be like, oh, no, you're the guy. There you go. Or just do what (laughs) Ohio State did
1: where JT Barrett... Literally did not know if he was going to be the starting quarterback when they took their first snaps against Virginia Tech in 2015. Yeah. And then Urban's like, Cardell, you're the starter. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the potential
0: that we could get with some of these jobs. And you have, but you have to be that. Like you have to be that aware of the situation because it's so easy to transfer now. And you just, you don't want to go into a season with two scholarship quarterbacks, one being a true freshman, and the other having success, but it being three games of yeah. success in the SEC. And that's the challenge that these coaches have. Like it's not that it's not like that at running back, because running back, five of us are going to play. Yeah, you know, at minimum three of us are going to play. Receiver, same thing. Well, unless right?
1: it's you and you're getting twenty five carries, you know, fifteen goal line looks and all that stuff. But you know. hey,
0: but even that, we had Keelan Williams and Trennan Holiday and Charles Scott and all these cats, right? They're going to get carries. They're going to play, even if it's on special teams. At other, you're going to play. Quarterback is one guy. Yeah. He's one guy. You got to make sure that that position is happy, and that's the challenge of all these coaches. I mean, everywhere, everywhere in the comp, like John Rice Plumley, like at Ole Miss, that dude killed LSU in 2019. Oh yeah. Right. He didn't play a lot last year at all. Takes a picture like, with Lane before every single game yeah. to let him, know, let him know, hey, I'm still thinking about you. Right. So if you. I'm Lane, I got to keep that guy happy. Yeah. I got to find a way to keep that guy happy. He's got a real skill set that somebody can use, and so all these coaches, I don't envy it, but that's the position they're in. There. Esther, before I let you go and
1: you do a million hours of live radio, and apologies for that noise, by the way. We're in between a couple of belks right now, as per usual, <laughs> and things are a humming. It's hopping say, at the belts. As, as, as to be expected. Because it is talking season, your fire take of 2021 is what?
0: Here we go. That Missouri and Kentucky... One of those schools will finish second in the SEC East. Ooh! I think both those schools are Spicy. on the rise. I think Florida's got some things to figure out. I think Dan Mullen is a hell of a quarterback coach. I think he'll have the guy ready to go. But I don't think we're valuing losing Pitts. I don't think we're valuing losing Kyle Trask, who I think still underrated, and Kadarius Tony. Yeah. I didn't. I feel like they didn't utilize Kadarius Tony like they should have when he was there. Now he's gone. He's a true game changer. You have a defense that gave up 31 points a game a year ago, and it's the same people with the same coordinator. So what's going to change from last year to this year? And it's not to say Florida's going to fall off a cliff, but I think Kentucky is in the right position. I love Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, I do I, I am drinking the Eli Drinkwitz Kool-Aid for sure. Can Connor Basilac improve on... I don't want to say disappointing year because he was a true freshman. Can he be more of the LSU guy, or is he going to be what he played for the rest of the year? But I tell you what, both those teams are coming. In Florida with the things that they have in front of them, I can see a situation where they finish third in the East. Fourteen years since Jacob Hester just went into the heart of every Florida fan
1: (laughs) and just ripped it out. And he's done all this to build up good graces and, oh, I kind of like that
0: Hester guy. All ruling with one
1: comment. Yeah,
0: uh, I mean, look, I've got a lot of Florida Gator friends. Uh, Chris Doring being one of my best friends. If that helps me in he's, any way. He's so-so. He's okay. Uh, if that helps me in any way, uh, I love the head ball coach. Many great conversations with the head ball coach there. Uh, the I have no ill will towards uh, Gainesville. My mom was actually born in Gainesville, Florida. So there's that little I nugget so there. Okay. So, so don't hate on me, please.
1: Hester, it's been <laughs> real. Appreciate it, man. By the next time that we talk... It'll be Wednesday night and, well, Thursday morning, probably depending on when you're listening to this. So kind of wanted to set the stage for the next two days of SEC Media Days. And there, there are a lot. There's, there's, there's a lot that we're going to get to and probably a lot that we've already missed already. But there, I think, are people that are very anxious to see how Nick Saban talks about name, image, and likeness, and they're going to get playoff questions fired at him. That was the thing that we didn't really talk about was the playoff nobody had really anything negative to say about that i thought people were going to say more about name image and likeness stuff and there really wasn't a whole lot to go around about either of those two things instead people want to talk COVID vaccination numbers a whole lot more than either of those but we have tuesday georgia tennessee kentucky Ole miss lane at the end of the day on tuesday i need lane to not be his tired i'm kind of over it Jay Cutler-like self. <laughs> I say that with love. I need Lane to be caffeinated Lane. Not three cups of coffee, Lane. I don't need to see that. Two cups of coffee, Lane. I need to see the type of Lane that's not afraid to talk about text chains between former it assistants and the latest that have gone on with things like that. I want to see Lane talk about his weight loss because I don't know if you've seen Lane lately. Dude looks really good. It looks really good. I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. But I'm not necessarily overly um, optimistic about anything that we're going to get from you know, Kirby or um, or Heupel just because they don't necessarily give off that, that sort of vibe. But we'll talk a whole lot of offense definitely on Tuesday. And a special guest from that group right there is expected to come on Wednesday's podcast. Hoping to be able to provide that. Um, something that I've been working on for a little bit, but I'll provide a little bit more context on that Wednesday. And then somebody, I hope, and maybe it's going to have to be me, Clark Lee at Vandy. We don't talk a lot of Andy on this podcast, but the question needs to be asked. Look, guy, if you, <laughs> you, are, you are one of several things. You are either incredibly locked into being football guy through and through by not having... By not having names and numbers on your player's jerseys, you are maybe just unbelievable at reading the specific movements and reading body shape and all those different things and getting that down. But the question needs to be asked with Clark Lee, what's going to happen if they don't earn those names and numbers by the time the season starts? Because y'all haven't had them yet. And I, I'm, Again, I'm not trying to put down Vandy or kick a man while he's down. But are we sure that Vandy's going to have the full roster having earned those very coveted numbers and names on the back of their jerseys? I don't know. Somebody's going to have to ask that question. I'm not saying it's going to be me. There's not going to be a whole lot of national appeal for Clark Lee. That's the way that some of these things work. But Wednesday, Leach is in the perfect time slot. Leach is, Leach is coming on on that post-lunch section on Wednesday afternoon. Anybody that's ever been to media days, anybody that's ever spent an entire day watching media days knows that by the time you get to that Wednesday lunch slot, it's tired. People are not necessarily in their most upbeat self, and we need to get Leach being his true most Leach self. I don't care if he says zero words about football. I think we're going to need that on wednesday but we're gonna have a lot more stuff coming down the pipeline so much stuff right now on saturdaydownsouth.com like crazy crazy amounts of content our news team just absolutely crushes it i know i say that all the time a lot of great coverage on all of our social media channels as well if you're not following those you definitely definitely should be we're gonna have a lot more interviews throughout the week well i'm uh i'm gonna say that i'm gonna interview at least like Hopefully, two of your favorite media members. That's, that's going to be my goal. And okay. uh, we'll just kind of go from there. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to say necessarily who it is, but we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. And we'll go from there. Um, but, yes, we will, we'll, we will meet back up on Wednesday. Like I said, if you have not joined the Saturday Down South podcast group on Facebook, make sure that you do that as well. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.